Hello, and welcome to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. I am your host, Chris Wakalik, and I'll be sitting down in conversation with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this hardworking little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. If this is your first time to the podcast, welcome. If you are a returning listener, it's been a long time. Welcome back. Today, I will be speaking with Linda Wine. Now, if you know Linda, like I know Linda, then you're going to know her as that woman who's been a fixture at the hardware store for close to 30 years now. Linda will talk about her experience as being one of the co-owners of the hardware store for that length of time and her experiences that she's had there. She's also going to talk about growing up on Pender Island in the 50s and 60s. She's going to talk about some local history, such as the Magic Lake Estates development, a little bit about farming, and she's also going to tell us how she and her husband Don met back in the day. A great little story. All that and more in this interview. And before we get onto it, I'm just going to mention two things. The first of which is that there's going to be a rather abrupt start to the interview because I was recording while we were having a little bit of a pre-interview conversation and something funny happened that I thought I would include. And secondly, we recorded this on Don and Linda's farm. And because of that, there's going to be lots of background noise like cars and trucks driving by, airplanes overhead, and of course that classic pender sound of a chainsaw running in the distance. (laughs) So I don't think it takes away too much from the interview. It actually sounds pretty good sound-wise, but you will notice those things which just adds to the ambiance. Big thanks to Linda for doing the interview. I had a super fun time doing it, and I hope that you enjoy listening to it. We'll see you on the other side of this interview for a wrap-up. But first, a little bit of music before we get started with my interview with Linda Wine. My brother is always still always helping us. My cousin helped us. My, you know, it was all family initially, and then, and then everybody. Oh, That's some okay. people beep when they go by. It's like saying hi. <laughs> That's fantastic. It is good. It's really nice. I miss I miss the people at the store. That's the, you know, they were like friends. You know what I mean? And I haven't really worked there much for a year. So I really, really miss the interaction with the people. That's that's my biggest, uh, you know. That they were they became like like friends, and you know, you get involved in their lives and things like that. Yeah, no so, kidding. Well, how mm-hmm. how many days have you worked at the store for in the last year? Just a handful. Yeah, just a handful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's it's nice that uh, yeah, it's nice that people honk. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. If I'm in the field. There's lots of waving and honking going on. So, and th- and that's nice. It's just a way of reconnecting. Some people stop, and if I'm doing the market stand, they'll come by, and and that's been really nice too. So, say, how are you doing? I haven't seen you. You know, so you get to kind of yell at each other for you know a few minutes. It's nice. So, anyway. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Like uh, 
that we're on this farm right now and that you purchased the farm and that this goes back deep into your history from what I know from talking to you. But before we get to uh, this location and what it means to you specifically, I guess we can sort of lead into like how you came to know a Pender Island and what brought you to Pender Island in the first place. A boat brought me to Pender Island <laughs> because my parents lived here <laughs> and uh, my Grandparents on the Allen side and the Bowerman side all lived here. The Bowermans were early 1900s, and the Allens bought the property in 1940, I think. So, um, and my mom lived here 90 years, her whole life, up until she moved to a nursing home. She lived on Pender, so, and had lots of family living around her. Her mom lived here probably till she was in her late 80s as well. So, But anyway, uh, my grandfather, Alan, the Otter Bay property, um, built boats there. And uh, so I was born in Ganges and I came um, home in one of his boats and it had flags all over it. And it was very, it was very cool. I was, I think, the first grandchild to be, of his, to be born. And, and we lived right beside them. So it was, it was very cool. I lived on three homes on that property. My dad built one for he and mom when they got married in 1949. And then we moved down when my grandfather died in about, uh, I was, I think, seven. Um, my grandmother moved up to the cottage and my and we moved down to their house and then in 1980 we built a cottage on the property so i've lived there quite a few years yeah no kidding okay <laughs> wait let me, let's try to pick this apart a little bit here so okay. your your grandfather who like was your grandparents were the first uh, of the ancestors to move to pender um on the allen side they moved in 19 19- uh, they bought about 1940. Um, they were in um, West Vancouver. Both were from Scotland originally, and they'd gone. They met in Vancouver. My grandmother was a couple of years older than my grandfather, and she really was a very strong woman. Like he was a hard worker, and she kind of uh, like he'd build houses. And she would say, oh, I sold the house today. We got to build another one. <laughs> she was that type of person. Wow. And he did. Um, anyway, they also lived in Australia for six or seven years before my dad was born. And then um, I think it was 1919 they, or 1918, they moved back from Australia. And my, grand, my grandmother and my, uh, my uncle... And then they they went to uh, the Okanagan, and my grandfather moved back from Australia. He was a builder down there. He also was a musician. He played like a trumpet or something, and he said he made a lot more money playing the trumpet uh, in the roller skating places than he did building, which I thought was very funny. Anyway. He, uh, but they were, they, they love Vancouver. But anyway, he, they moved up to Fintry for a couple of years 
the Laird of, uh, what's his name? Anyway, and he built him a speedboat on the lake, on Okanagan Lake, for, for the use there. They used to have orchards up there, and he also built a lot of the, uh, the ways that they got the water to the orchards. I can't remember the names of the, they were wooden troughs. Troughs, okay. yes, yeah. yes. Anyway, he and he built this speedboat. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of neat. And then they moved back to Vancouver. And then my father was born in 1924, and he went to school there. My grandfather built houses and boats. They lived in West Bay, and he used to build a house there and build a boat alongside it so really my my father had some really good memories of of that uh when he was 15 my grandfather got hired to go to alaska take some salesmen up the coast to alaska and so my grand grandfather hired my father to be the cook and whatever and my grand my father never cooked so i don't know what they ate going up there but anyway there was like a nestle food salesman and a shoe salesman and somebody else and they stopped at every community you know like all the inlets and everything so it took them a few weeks to go up there and then then they came down and the the salesmen all got off at prince rupert i think it was and and then grandpa and dad just headed home to vancouver and yeah cool trip for your dad because that was probably the first real big travel experience he had it was amazing yeah yeah so anyway anyway um so my grandfather i guess he was probably in his 50s or something like that um came over and they brought everything over to the property in otter bay by barge and this was kind of during the war years so he had a scow that he used to pull with his boat and it was a boat he built. These were probably, uh, I think one of the smallest boats was like 28 or 32 feet and his largest was 42. And anyway, he built the house. He built a boathouse. Um, they built a house for my uncle. Uh, it was quite a procedure. There was no road down to the houses from on Pender. It was all you got there by boat. But Mr. Rowe was be- beside us, kind of, Roseland. And uh, then there was the salt tree over in Hayashi Cove. So there was a few people around and, you know, they became, it, it was, it was a good life, I think. They lost one barge with building materials and, and a donkey to, to pull things off and that. It turned over in the Fraser, at the Fraser, mouth of the Fraser. Okay, so they would barge stuff over from Vancouver. From Vancouver, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. what uh, prompted your family to want to move to Pender in those days, like um, your grandfather? I think he bought a hundred and some acres for back taxes. And, it, and he wanted to build boats. And I think the Otter Bay property was kind of the perfect location because it was really protected and um so yeah he that's what they did he also built some houses on the island i think but more boats i think he built six or seven boats there so it's kind of neat 
and and our na- he met our neighbors. Uh, they were um, from West Vancouver too, and my grandmother had gone in to get a pair of glasses from Dr. Howe, who was an optometrist in West Van, and she said, "My husband built that boat. It was he had a picture of a boat there, and he said, "Oh." And anyway, they got talking, they became friends, and they actually bought the property beside and and became neighbors on Otter Bay and my grandfather built Dr. Howe a couple of boats and it was it was very cool. That and, is really cool. And so- I became best friends with their granddaughter. The Jervis family is the um th- that's the Daphne Howe uh, married um, Bert Jervis, and uh, so every summer they would come and live all summer uh, beside us. So it was really, really fun that way. We had neighbors. <laughs> yeah, well, when you don't have neighbors, to having neighbors, what a huge change! Especially if there's like uh, oh, they were wow. all they were all our ages. There was uh, uh, two boys and a girl, so we became yeah. That's what we did all summer. We hung out with them. Okay. Yeah. So it's cool. You have a history of uh, house building and boat building in your mm-hmm. family. On both sides, actually. The barman side, they moved over to Hope Bay in, like I say, the early 1900s. And my grandfather built the house there, the green and white one that's just up from Hope Bay. Jean, the Bradleys owned it. Owned okay. it. And um, the manse, the the one that Neils live in, the blue and white house, and uh, yeah, he did lots of lots, quite a few buildings on the island. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. That's really mm-hmm. neat. To, so yeah, mm-hmm. these houses are still standing today. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Maybe we're gonna get into back into like you saying that you were born in Ganges. So for people who don't know, that's on Salt Spring, right? And so right. the the what what can you remember from your first day of being on this earth? Just kidding, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> but from from what you were told, so you uh, you were born in Ganges and then uh, brought back across the water back home, and then you started your life on Pender Island, which is pretty rare. There's not many people I talk to that. Uh, basically grew up on Pender. You're one of the few. The Grimmers, um, I guess Bill Logan, uh, Rod Began, the Amy's girls were my friends. Um, and they, I went to school with them grade one to eight. They moved off when the girls were a bit older for school and that they had four daughters. And uh, my cousins were born here. They were also my best friends because they lived here all the time. And um, there's quite a few people s- that still live here that that I went to, s- to school with, elementary school. Out of a 30, 30 in the elementary school, maybe there was 10 or 12 that are kind of still around. Yeah, it's yeah. like all, those names that you mentioned are all familiar to me. Yeah. I, I just like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I've got to reach out to those people and get to hear their version of events of like what life was like living on Pender. But that's yes. so cool. And it's cool for people listening in to this, I'm sure, to recognize that there is that kind of deep history that still exists here. But so what what do you remember of like growing up on Pender during those times? Like, what did you guys do for fun? What were some of your hobbies? Um, what was going on? And like, what decade are we talking about here? In terms the of- 50s. Okay. I was born in 51. Okay. And um, no kindergarten in school. Uh, when I started school, it was one room. It was Mrs. Grimmer. She was a lovely lady. She was a, 
a grandma lady, so you felt very comfortable. And she taught eight grades in one room and uh, did an amazing job. And I remember at the end of grade one, I got a cow. I won this little ceramic cow, and I had it for years. She gave everybody a prize for being the best student or whatever. It was it was it was really fun. But I loved school. I had quite a few different teachers. We had things like soccer if the weather was nice and everybody would go out and play soccer at lunchtime. Like you didn't have the proper clothes or everything. But if it was um, not nice, there was games. Like we played a lot of chess, checkers things like that. It was, um, there was probably only 250 people on the island then. Okay. There wasn't a lot of jobs and things like that for people. So there was a lot of older people and not that many, like 30 kids in school. So probably, you know, not that many people that, that were really working on the island. So, my parents, they used to do so many things, like the golf course. I remember they were part of the team, that the, the volunteers that built that. And every weekend they'd go there and work on it. Um, and I was kind of bored with that. I just used to hang out. But they, my dad had, before golf excavating, I guess, he had Allen and Bowerman. So they had dump trucks and he had a cat and things like that so I think he did a lot of the probably stuff like that and then they did a lot of you know taking trees down and things like that they they really wanted a golf course on the island um, so <laughs> and the guys made it happen and my dad was always extremely athletic so a lot of things in our lives involved around they'd play tennis and um, we used to boat in the summer quite a bit go on picnics we used to go to thieves bay there was no road down there and we'd go in and the trees were it was just a beautiful um uh spot it was so secluded and we'd take a picnic and go right into the sandy beach and have a picnic there um and we used to do lots of sunday picnics at browning harbor my uncle Les owned Browning Harbor before it was um, any buildings there and things like that. So we used to do a lot of family picnics with the Bowermans. Um, Marge and Elmer were same age as my parents, kind of, and like best friends. And they had two children, Ted and Sharon, who were kind of the same age as Jim and I, close close to it. So we were like always doing things together that that's what you did if there was a holiday or uh whatever we did things with them so cool so mm -hmm. when you went to thieves bay would you boat there or you would you we boated in? yeah just okay. beach it there jump out mom would have made a picnic and we'd maybe do some swimming and just lay in the sand there was the tr i remember the trees hanging over the sand like there it was so it was kind of just wild and natural, and it was quite amazing. It had a lovely sandy beach. And, and beautiful sunsets, too. 
Yeah. You yeah. see, I'm trying to imagine Thieves Bay without a marina as you're uh, saying that. And yeah. like, it's nice that there's a marina and people yes. can park their boats yeah. there. But yeah. without, I'm I'm picturing it. I'm like, this place looks beautiful. This place looks even more beautiful than it does now yeah. with all these boats in oh, the water. It was, right? it was paradise. It was really amazing. My Uncle S also was involved in all the properties in Magic Lake too he he owned a lot of property on the island and uh, he used to have a farm like highland cattle out where the lake is magic lake okay was his farm my mom and aunt marge used to garden out there so we'd also do that a lot spend a lot of time out they had a huge beautiful garden out there fenced and he had his highland cattle so what side of magic lake was that on like what it's right where magic lake is now oh of course because it used to be called... they flooded the lake it was not a lake there it was a field right yeah. okay well can yeah. you know for people listening and for myself to get clear on this story as well too because i i've been told it used to be called dead cow slough that was well that nickname. could have been after <laughs> it could have been wet but i remember uh i don't exactly know where the cows were and where the garden was but because the roads changed so much but it was right beside the road at that point and there was nothing much out there right i think you can almost divide pender life into pre-magic lake estates and post-magic lake estates because it did change the whole the island the economy the i mean my dad had probably one of the only cats on the island there might have like caterpillars like bulldozers sure, yeah. and he put in driveways he was busy for i think from the 1950s to he sold in 76 i think to doug and glenn doug keating and glenn grimmer and so that was you know he just did driveways and where the store where our store is on port wash road that was a gravel pit and he's the get all his materials out of there okay and um well but before um, we like venture, okay. i'm so curious about magic lake because they they flooded it and so that was because they were creating the subdivision that yes. was magic lake yes and so that was that was part of the uh, the appeal for bringing people and look we have this beautiful lake here and they created that yes so okay. i think they had lots of waterfront it was i think around 1500 lots it was the biggest subdivision in BC, and they used to fly people over. And um, if you were interested in buying a lot, and that's how they developed it. Do you remember how you felt about that situation? Like, because having a man-made lake just appear one day, basically, I guess that's kind of what happened. You, I'm sure you I knew it was coming. I can't really remember the time when they. But it probably was quite wet area to begin with. Yeah. Like, so they probably decided that that was a good use for for it. But, yeah. I think it would have been a very different island had that not happened. And I think the good part about Magic Lake is it's given a lot of young people because there were so many cottages there and, and smaller, like, starter homes now for young people so i think that was the good news and the island's big enough like i can't see exactly what they would have done 
with it had it been just big pieces of land like a lot of that land was not farmable not um you know it, it just would have sat they they logged things and then after that uh there wasn't a lot of income jobs yeah things like that and it, i mean basically it's um it, it was it was quite sparse that way for for jobs you know there was uh the hope bay when i was growing up um there was hope bay and portwash and there was uh two stores two halls two churches <laughs> and because I was related to the Bowermans and my grandmother lived in Hope Bay. My mom worked for Mr. Corbett at the Corbett store many, many years. And my aunt was, had been a Corbett and that. So we, we usually went to the Hope Bay, but it was totally, and I didn't really know all that many of the Port Washington people very oh, really? well. Okay. It was very distinct. They went, I went to the United Church and, and a lot of them were at the Anglican Church. It was it was really a very unique situation to have the island almost. Um, there was only one school, which was good. <laughs> so, um, so there was a, like a division that existed on the island that that yeah. didn't necessarily. There weren't like two like opposing sides to each other, but maybe no. geographically. Uh, but it wasn't that far. Like the halls were identical. They're identical. Identical. One was by Port Wash store and one was by Hope Bay store. Okay. And, and yeah, they both had stages and then, um, you know, an area and, and they were both used. But I think, I think it was more maybe religious, like the Anglican people settled on one side and the United Church people settled more on the other side. And we had two docks. We had Hope Bay and Port Washington. Yeah. Right. The, it, it was it was really different. This is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard this aspect of Pender history before. But I and yeah. like I don't know why, but the idea of two identical halls as well, too, sticks in my mind. But what would happen at those halls? Like dances, obviously. Weddings, dances, um, badminton, uh, um, maybe even like a birthday party. There was no community hall and probably there was 250 people on the island and a hall might well the parking was always really bad um but they say uh new year's eve celebrations um yeah things like that any any anything that you wanted a gathering because people's houses weren't that big um yeah it, yeah it was just you could rent the hall and i think it had a little kitchen and yeah when my mom was married i think and that was 1949. The ladies at the the Corbett store all put on a spread for the wedding. They got married at the community church, and then they went and had something at the hall. And so, just to jump in, the Corbett store—that's where Hope Bay. Hope is? Bay, yes. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was um, that's been there for a long, long time. So had the Port Washington one, and they both. I think they both had post offices too. At some, it was it was very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting, and they're they're pretty close to each other, like you say. They're not that yeah. far apart. My mom used to say that uh, I think it was when Mister Bridge owned the Port Washington store. He used to have a spin the wheel night. I think it was Christmas Eve, and the whole island used to go to that. And you bought tickets, 
Yeah. And then he'd spin this wheel and he'd have things that you were betting on. And then, and that was, that was a really fun way that they got together. But other than that, we didn't go that much to the port wash store. It was, it was funny. And it, it was, they were really similar. Okay. Well, was it, you get used to going to one place. Like <laughs> yeah. your mom works there yeah. for crying well, out loud. Mom always checked on my grandmother and, um, she was really, um, yeah, and and she was she'd worked at the other store. I I worked for Miss at the Corbett store later on, um, for the Smiths. It was called Smith Brothers store, and uh, so. So when you were going from your house near Otter Bay and then going to Hope Bay and various other islands, mm-hmm. would you walk most of the time or bike or what was your main mode of transportation when you were a kid? Um, yeah, sometimes Mom would drive us, um, but uh, we walked quite a bit. We, um, yeah, we had bikes. Our, our property was at, it's a long downhill, so it was always really hard to push your bike (laughs) up that hill. (laughs) And we never could ride it. They were big, old, heavy bikes. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah, we did. When, when I was probably old enough to go out, I had, we had a rowboat that we, we were allowed to go all around the bay in. And I used to row over to Roseland every day in the summer. We used to play over there because there was always a group that came there for the summer. And the Jervises, the Jervis kids next door, they had a rowboat. So we'd go over and we'd buy Mr. Um, Popsicles from Mr. Rowe and Mrs. Rowe and hang out at Roseland quite often. Nice. Too. So we had boat transportation and a little um, dinghy that my grandfather built and uh yeah that was really fun too well two two things i've heard in the past that uh just going for a row from various places on the island was just what people did people jumped in a rowboat and went quite like long distances because that's that's what you did right but even as a kid you use that as like a mode of transportation short distances yeah my mom used to call us back for lunch. She had an old ship's bell off one of the boats, and we could hear it over at Roseland. And then we'd run down to the dock and row home. And <laughs> Nice. And yeah. to give context to people about Roseland as well, too, and maybe myself as well, is that, that there was a resort uh, there? Yes, they... it was um, uh, cabins. And most people booked it for July and August. They'd leave maybe, I think, Vancouver, most of the people came from. There was probably 12 to 15 and uh, cottages and they had like kind of small kitchen, like a living room area, maybe two bedrooms and a very small bathroom. So it was really, I think a lot of the kids swam in the ocean every instead of, you know, showering and bathing and <laughs> Um, but the moms, it was a really nice little community. You got to know the kids, the same kids would come year after year. So would people stay for the full two months? Or... Yep. Wow, really? I think, I think that was, when I was growing up, that was the common way of using it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. 
Interesting. You know, when when uh, people come to the island now, tourists, like I, I hear so often from people that they just love this island. They love coming here. It's like it really means a lot to them. Right. And that do, do you remember that same sentiment? If people were coming here for two months and staying, they came here because they enjoyed it. Right. But do you remember that at all? Or is that something that uh, that there was like a great affinity for people coming over and visiting the island? I think because you did so much walking and playing and swimming and and boating, most of them had some boat that they could use or when we were older, a bit of water skiing. But um, I remember one girl, her name was Harriet Hall, and she was, she, they were from West Van, I think. And I think they had four kids in the family. Anyway, they all used to come over and... She was very athletic and that, but at, once a week we'd walk to Hope Bay and she used to have theme walks, like we'd dress up or we'd, and that was quite a hike from Roseland to Hope Bay. Yeah. And then we'd always take some money for candy. Um, the Octoloni sisters. Whoa, 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 hold on. Wait, what kind of theme walks would you have? What do you, oh, what do you mean we'd dress walks? up. We'd do like clowns or, I mean, we didn't have... Yeah, it would just be some kind of theme, theme. to the walk. But so to, clowns to, or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like Halloween kind of stuff. I, I I can remember some, or or maybe not. Maybe sometimes we just walk there, but um, there would be quite a few of us, and and we do it once a week. You know, take our allowance and walk down. And I remember I used to buy orange floats from the Octoloni ladies that were right by Hope Bay store yep. and in their living room they had like a little um soda parlor <laughs> and they'd make floats I think they were like 15 cents and they were so delicious so after walking all the way there you'd have ice cream and orange crush floats and then nice. walk home it was <laughs> It was one of those memories. Anyway, so Harriet. But the little like homemade like uh, parades like once a week that yeah, uh, they'd come yeah, up with an idea. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. That was, that. I that like was that Harriet's idea. thing. And, I, uh, you know, we'd walk with sticks or we'd, I, I don't know. She was very creative and a real organizer. So nice. And we just. Sorry, just to interject, it was fine because you just mentioned the uh, the Octorloni ladies, and yes. I interviewed Connie Octorloni. Yes, and uh, she talked a little bit about that store. Yes, so it's just the house that's just up from Hope Bay, and uh, anyway. they lived there. And then you just so you just went into their house, and they had like this kind of little tabley thing that, that yeah, okay. it was very cool. Yeah, and great orange floats. Oh, delicious! The best. <laughs> 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 okay, so you're uh, you're living on uh, Pender Island in the uh, Otter Bay area, and uh, anyways, you're interacting with people during the summertime. You know, you've got uh, a robust friendship uh, going on with various people, like on the island during that time, and people coming to visit during the summertime. And so, when uh, when you became a teenager, what were your thoughts about? Did you want to stay on Pender? Did you want to get off Pender? And then what wound up happening? I went to the dormant in for grade nine i'm sorry the dormitory on salt spring okay so they turned the hospital that i was born in into a dormitory for the school and that was high school and i went there the start of grade nine i was the only girl from pender i might have been the only child that year that went because the amy's had moved up to the okanagan and there wasn't a lot of kids my age there 
so there was maybe 30 kids from all the islands in the dormitory. And the first day I, w- I was there was when I met Don. He was living on Main Island, and he'd been sent over there to school. And, and um, anyway, I knew quite a few of the kids, but that was, so that was the next Monday through Friday for the next uh, grade 9, 10, 11, and 12, four years of my life. And I made lots of good friends from other islands, and uh, I really enjoyed that, the actual school that where you change classes and and uh you know it it was good i really liked that yeah because i guess it opened you up to meeting a whole bunch of different people and actually yes. having a yes. little bit more of a structure to it rather yes. than one teacher teaching grades one through eight like you mentioned before right? yeah there wasn't a lot on pander at that time in our lives like there was like i said there was maybe 30 kids in um the last few years the school had two classrooms actually I think it was in grade two they split it and we got it two teachers um, but there still wasn't a huge amount of kids on the island so it was it, there wasn't a lot to do uh, the summers were really exciting the winters uh, you did things you know family things and that but I read a lot I was I kind of um, liked my peace and quiet and and uh so i i didn't really mind that but in the summers you made up for it you went it was go 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 every day sure so that was fun yeah so you you go to school in salt spring and Mm -hmm. uh you're open up to different uh, people and experiences what what were you thinking at that time is like what this is what i want to do with my life uh this is the direction i want to go or did you have those thoughts or you didn't quite know until i i was really scared to go i was very like I'd never gone many places. We didn't do a lot of traveling. Uh, uh, my dad was fire chief for a few years, and um, you just he didn't leave the island in the summer. We had a huge fire on Pender right on our property where recycling is now. That whole hillside went up, and um, it was very scary. So he, I think that triggered the fire department and they just were too afraid to leave in the summer and and we enjoyed the island in the summer anyway but um yeah i can't really remember thinking what i was going to do i liked the school i um i enjoyed meeting people i had some really good friends um I didn't think that far ahead, I don't think. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, and then subsequently, like that that's hilarious. One of my questions, I was like, I got to ask Linda, how did you meet Don, so your yep. husband? But yep. you met him your first day. First day. We didn't get to know each other all that well the first year, but he became my cousin's kind of best friend, Ted. Okay. And so I kind of got to know him that way and, and in school. And in the dorm, we always, we had quite a routine in the dorm like you had to do a lot of the cleaning and the lunch make lunches and help with dinners and so you and you got rotated sweep and that so you usually you had to do things with other people and quite often you got to know people so you might not be friends with them but you got to know them by doing your chores together so I think we there was some of that 
Okay. And <laughs> so what happened? Uh, what happened after high school? After you finished grade twelve, what uh, what happened next? I went to UVic for a year, and then and Don, we'd gone together. I I think since I was sixteen, and he was in Vancouver, and I was in Victoria, and I was in love, and so we just decided we'd get married. Okay. And we did. <laughs> Right on. So on it was, Pender. You go, okay, well, let's hear about that. Uh, yeah. What you got married on Pender? Where did that happen? Um, at the church that moved at the Anglican Church because the United Church was closed then, and my mother had always been involved in the United Church, but there was no ministers. No, basically, it was just kind of shut down because there was so few people to work at it so I got married at the Anglican church yeah and uh then yeah and then we had a reception in mom and dad's at the property and then we flew away and lived in Vancouver for probably I don't know half a year or something and then we moved to Victoria after that so I spent probably most of the time most of our time raising our kids in Victoria. A few years in Abbotsford thrown in there, but yeah. Okay. So Don and Linda are starting their lives off mm-hmm. together and mm-hmm. uh, having some kids. Very naive. Yeah. Very naive. Well, are, we grew are we up all together? Absolutely. <laughs> I wouldn't do it any other way. <laughs> all right. Let's hear it for being naive. It's, uh, I think we're all that way in our early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and maybe the rest of our lives. Yeah. Uh, who knows? But anyway, so uh, you, you start your life off and you're living in Victoria for the most part. And um, you're raising the kids and then Dawn's working and uh, what what's happening during those years. And I guess we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s. No, I graduated in... 1969 so it was the 70s yeah Yeah. um with three little kids yeah we had a a business and I went back to school and did uh, a business program at Camosun and we just had very busy lives Don Don had two or three careers and uh in I think it was 1981 we kept coming over to Pender and visiting my parents and we had three three little kids and they had such busy lives too. They were playing tennis and and golf and involved in tournaments and uh, doing so many things. My dad had retired from the bulldozing trucking business, but he had bought a uh, sawmill and was doing quite a bit of that between um, retirement and, you know, well, he could physically do it. So, uh, we came over and I said, I think we're going to look for a place to buy over here so we don't end up on your doorstep every weekend with three little kids. <laughs> and, you know, and um, he said to me, go pick a place on the property that you want to build and I'll do the paperwork. I'll get it. I'll get it started. Wow. And so I did. And then there was probably half a dozen trees that had to come down. And he felled them and milled them, and we built our cottage out of the um, trees from the property. Trees from the property, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. That's really, it was that, very cool. Totally cool. Very I, cool. I don't think that happens very often today. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't. And yeah. and you could then. It's to. It was totally, you know, it was all legal. It, we're an outbuilding. We're you know, it's a big piece of property, um, but it's. Very unusual to have that kind of, 
you know, there was a building inspector on the island. It was all it was all done above board. But it's okay. It was, it, was, like... it, was, it was 40 years ago. Don't worry about it. It's okay. 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, so, and this was a place to visit on the weekends or this was actually a home to start? Uh... It was 600. It was like kind of a 900 square foot house, you know, 600 with uh, down on the main level and 300 foot loft. And like a lot of them on the island, but we loved it. We the kids, we came for many years and until in 1992, um, my parents were in Mexico and Don's, one of the people from Maine Island owned the lumber yard and was selling it. And Don said, I'd like to buy the lumber yard on Pender. So he said, you don't have to work there. You can just, you know, play tennis and have fun and and uh, two of our kids were out of the house and just Debbie was still, she was 14. And so uh, we thought, no, we can move into the cottage. Uh, so that's half the problem solved. And we sold our home in, Vang- in Victoria and bought the lumber yard. And um, then I worked 28 years. <laughs> So much for playing tennis. Never played <laughs> tennis after moving to. Are you kidding? Really? Almost never. never. Oh well, my god! Almost never. Did you play a lot of tennis before though? Yeah, I played at the racket club. I had a, I had a friends, and I yeah, I used to play quite a bit. This is a tragedy. Don said you're going to get to play tennis. I know, Ugh. but my kids did. My uh, and my parents did, and I mean the odd time we would, but it, I was so tired after working five or six days a week and then having things to do. Well, no kidding. It was, uh, I, yeah, it was, uh, we boated a bit over here, but, um, yeah, tennis was out and my dad had built a tennis court on the property. There was a a tennis court on the property. In front of our, in front of our house is a tennis court. (laughs) I'm feeling for you. I know. Seriously. As someone who loves playing tennis. Donna used it. (laughs) The kids used it. Um, Anyway. Okay. And so it begins the hardware store chapter to this yes. story, yeah. which uh, yeah. so many people know you by. It's <laughs> like, of course, probably like everybody does. It's like Linda from the hardware store. So, uh, okay. 1992, that happened. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So maybe yeah. maybe walk us through what was going on in that first year of purchasing the hardware store. And uh, what do you remember from those first, uh, first couple of years, maybe? Oh, uh, well, Debbie had to go to Salt Spring, but she didn't board there. It was the water taxi then. Yeah. She was 14. So, and she did it. We had to, it was really early. We had to leave the house. I think they picked them up about seven in the morning. And when we bought the hardware store, there was, most of the trucks were really old and I remember our driveway is fairly challenging and we used to sometimes we'd leave and if it had snowed at all and there were some winter mornings we'd hit a few trees going up the driveway in this old truck but we used to we didn't really have a much of a fence at the store and keys were left in trucks People could hop the fence literally and leave us a note. I took some two by fours or it was a very, (laughs) very different, very casual. Yeah. Um, the, I, I do remember they'd always stop for a beer after work 
And then finally, Don said, I, I don't think this is a good idea because it was hard to draw the line between, you know, what was social and what, you know, if, if they had a couple beers and then they were driving home, not a good idea. So we gradually went away from that and, and changed the mentality a little bit about things like that. It was, uh, we got different staff, a few more, um, uh, rules and regulations as we felt it was a safety issue and a yeah, well, both, you, both for the business and for the people. It makes sense. During yeah. that time, everything was changing. You <laughs> yes. know? I, I can yeah. remember in the 80s, uh, I lived in Burnaby. I grew up there and my, my parents helping to push a car out of the ditch because there was a, a couple of guys drinking and driving. Yeah. And they went into the, just like, oh, I guess we better push them out <laughs> so they can keep going on their way, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's what was going on yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. So I think there was a little more awareness in the 90s. Yes. So you're just yeah. with the times there, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 So... Yeah, we we made some changes. Uh, Don really stepped up, and uh, we were we were so tired at night. I remember going home just absolutely. The house was small, um, and thinking, I don't even want a bigger house. This is this is just fine. I just want to sleep. But yeah, we we put a lot, but we loved it. The people on the island were so amazing and helpful and it's been a really good thing. Uh, we did it as a five-year project and it's still ongoing. We didn't think our older, like Donnie was in, at UVic doing business. He was never going to move over here. And then lo and behold, about uh, 1998, maybe he decided he did a bit of an apprenticeship with us through UVic and that and um, kind of decided it was an okay place to to live and then um, Debbie went she did uh, grade 9 10 and 11 at Salt Spring and she used to come back from school the water taxi would drop her off at the store and we'd put her to work or she could go home and make dinner it was her choice <laughs> It was a lot of hard work, but um, very rewarding in so many ways. And um, we had such good customers and contractors and things that like Brent and Steve and uh, my cousin Ted was on the island and Bill. And if you needed to know something, you could ask somebody. Jim Dunlop. Um, oh, there's so many, so too many to name <laughs> that were just wonderful to you know to work with and they kind of helped us along so yeah okay so that's it's interesting that like you mentioned uh donnie your uh your oldest mm -hmm. son so he becomes part of the uh, family business yeah yeah like a number of years into it because it wasn't a home hardware when it uh when no it, began. it we when we started off it was kind of with uh pro hardware and it was actually donnie that said this doesn't make sense. The the pro hardware had different presidents, different. They were a, a co-op. No, not a co-op. It was a private company and you just bought things through them. And yes, they, they couldn't quite fit us into any of their banners. But anyway, home hardware came over and they just had a really good program. And so in about 
1999, I think, we started going with them. We changed the store. Pro had was having some rough times. I don't even know if they're around anymore, but we just decided that, uh, and I'm really glad we changed. It was the best thing we ever did. It made so much sen- more sense than than how we were doing it before. So, yeah. Because... Getting are, things here is huge. Yeah. Uh, for shipping over lumber? Ship everything. 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 Okay. Everything that we put in the store has to come by truck, right? And um, we've usually handled it. So when Debbie was young... Her dad said, I'll buy you a truck, but you never come over to the island with it empty. You always have to pick up something. Yeah, yeah. And she did. And so did Darcy and Donnie, too. They That was just part of it. It's like, what do you need? <laughs> I'll get it. Because it was so difficult to get things over, you know, like, yeah, especially the, the hardware part, even now it's. Every box has to be moved from a trailer to our truck and then into the warehouse. A lot, most stores, a truck comes and they unload the stuff there. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the expense too of going across the water that, uh, other stores. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just all very labor intensive. And then in our, in our store, it's also a challenge where are you can put it. As you probably remember. Yeah, for sure. There's a limited amount of space in there. It's very crowded. Yes. Yes. So anyway. So, okay, you uh, you switch over to uh, becoming a home hardware in the late 90s, and then slowly you're, you're bringing in uh, your, your children into the mix here, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there you go. But, you know, it, it's very interesting to me just what a hub the hardware store is. And for people who live here, obviously, they know, right? For, for people who don't, it's a place where you run into people a lot, like a lot of conversations happen. It's a very chit-chatty kind of place. Uh, and it's so vital to the community but you know something that i've been thinking about is that what has the hardware store meant to you over the last 28 years in terms of your experience of being behind the counter and interacting with the community Mm -hmm. and like what what has that meant to you my mom always used to say i can't believe i've lived here my whole life and i hardly know anybody anymore and she said and you know everybody (laughs) and i think that was i am a people person like i like people i like to and um uh i think i just got to know a lot of people it's it's just a feel-good thing i think you know if you can help somebody with something that they need or want or whatever um I also would ask people questions if there was something I wasn't sure of and and that was really rewarding I like to learn I like to learn new things and so I think the friendships um and a lot of people we didn't do a huge amount out of the family like we weren't partiers we weren't um but uh I felt like I had lots of friends, you know, and their customers, but their friends too. It was, it, that was really, that was really probably the thing I liked the best was the people and the people we worked with and working with our family too. That's, it's kind of a neat experience. You know, it's hard to draw the lines sometimes when you go home between 
work and that but but Debbie and I still talk all the time about plants and all the kids phone us up if they've got a question Donnie and Don still plan huge amount of the trucking they're always brainstorming where do you get this how do you get it here what how would you load the truck with this this stuff and uh, Don still drives the truck sometimes which is pretty amazing um but anyway you just get to know people yeah totally because you know i uh, todd your son-in-law works at the hardware Mm -hmm. store he mentioned this to me one time that uh when somebody's new to the island it's it's always obvious that uh it's like on on a weekend and they're usually buying like a a scrub brush of some kinds of cleaning supplies (laughs) and they're like they just purchased a place and um it's like, oh, and you've never seen this person before, and they've got all the tools that you've seen numerous times. It's like, oh, clearly you're new to the island. Hello, Welcome. right? <laughs> and so you guys are sort of the uh, beginning of uh, people's interaction with community members because you know you're the hardware store owners, and that's where people first go generally yep. uh, when they move to the island. But then on top of that, you have people building homes, and then they're coming in on a regular basis, and so you're keeping up with the mm-hmm. progress of the building of the homes and getting to see them a couple times a week sometimes every day right and then so yeah it's interesting how the the uh, the friendships develop because you're you're only seeing people for a brief period of time but it's kind of like uh, sometimes pivotal moments in people's lives where it's like I got this project and I don't Mm -hmm. know what to do and Mm -hmm. I need some advice and things like that but uh, like I've always got the sense from you seeing how you interact with customers that you're always uh, you're always genuinely concerned about how things are going for them in their in their experience that they're having through you know what they're doing in their home through the building projects and it's cool it's and yeah. and uh, of course you know of course that you're gonna build um, some really unique and uh, lasting friendships that way yeah that's why people honk sometimes when I'm <laughs> in the garden <laughs> yeah but I I can't tell you how many times I've said to people. You must be new to the island, just on what you were saying. And they quite often would say, yes, I just got off the ferry and the moving truck is arriving tomorrow. And I'd always say, well, welcome to the island. I hope you enjoy it kind of thing. And and um, we've had some amazing people on the island. I think absolutely amazing and uh, such a variety in the 29 years that we've been here it's it's really mind-boggling some of the the different backgrounds and and uh yeah and just really nice down-to-earth people so yeah yeah it's Mm -hmm. true it's true like i think being in a small community like you have to be down to earth right I've been thinking about this a little bit because there's a lot of new people that uh, have been moving here the last year or so. And uh, I think that I don't know what it is about the frequency of the island or if it's being in a small community that things sort of flow and move a certain way on the island. And that I think that it's drastically different in the city, obviously. But it's inevitable that like you're going to have to sort of slow your rhythm down a little bit being on the island and then get down to earth because that's kind of what it's about being in this very small island that we exist in in this community. And uh, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. And this is like part of the reason for doing the podcast, too, is getting to hear people express themselves and getting to know like... um, 
I'm just kind of rambling here. I might edit this out, but it it's a, it is it is a super beautiful thing that uh, people are down to earth here. Anyway, and yeah, I'm really appreciating this interview. By the way, this oh, is great. super fun. Great, right? but sorry, go ahead. No, I I don't know exactly when it was, but all of a sudden the young people started coming, and I think that's so healthy for a community because of the smaller homes and there's jobs like. There's a lot of construction jobs that people can make a good living, I think. And um, things like Poets Cove and that. I mean, you need places for people to work. Like people used to retire here and now people come to live here. And I think that's, that's good for the community to have that energy and things like that, that, you know, you can make a living and and raise a family and uh, like the school is awesome I think I had four four of my grandchildren were in it one year so I was kind of involved um, with it and I was just blown away by how wonderful the school is on the island you know they even come up to the farm and they have a lit remote classroom they haven't used it much with COVID but normally um, a couple of the classes come and do things. Uh, they built a disc golf course and um, they had outdoor classrooms and they learned things. And I think that's really taking advantage of the island, uh, of, you know, just seeing different aspects of it that you'd never get that in the city. So... Totally, totally. Yeah. And actually, let's shift gears because you mentioned the farm, which is mm -hmm. where we are right mm -hmm. now. And, and let's talk about that for a bit. So where are we exactly? What farm are you speaking of? Well, it's called Valley Home Farms, and we bought it seven years ago. And um, when I was um, growing up, I wasn't allowed on the farm. I, there wasn't really a lot of kids my age here. There were um, most of the people living here were older but there was a lot of draft dodgers that lived on the farm oh, really? and and so I didn't really necessarily want to come here but I didn't you know but I always loved seeing the cows I always it's very central to the island right so um and um I think I've always wanted to be a farmer and Don and I work well together and uh he was kind of gung-ho he's really good with machinery and um usually anything I want involves a whole lot of work for him but anyway this was kind of like a way to transition away from the store and we were hoping to kind of do something good for the community have it you know clean it up a bit it had been kind of in disrepair so we fix up the houses a bit and We've got some cows and goats. I, I love animals, so they're, uh, I love taking care of them, and, and uh, I like growing. I've now got three big greenhouses, so, yeah, it's kind of like a passionate thing. We're getting a little too old to be doing everything, but uh, Barb and Glenn Grimmer, and they usually cut the hay, which is awesome, and we take whatever we need for our animals, and they take the rest. And um, so it's it's been good. The community garden is, Karen and Nancy are doing something in field one, the big field, this year with uh, saving seeds, and they're gonna do some things. Uh, 
for the community again. And uh, I would like to see it move. Well, the trail has been awesome. The the map people moving around Pander put the trail there and we helped some with that. They were amazing. And the trail is, is really well used. So, and every time I see somebody walking on it, I think, oh, this is so special because they get to enjoy the farm. They're safe from the traffic. And um, I think it's just a wonderful way to go when we get people walking their dogs here every day and things like that. It's very cool. And uh, you never run out of projects to do. We have have so much work that we'd like to do here and uh, a limited energy. So, <laughs> So it's kind of like, I'm hoping one of my grandchildren or children want to do more someday, but they're all too busy right now. So we'll see. We'll see what. We, in the meantime, we we camp down at, by the community hall. It's called Camp Cowbell. And we have a trailer, and sometimes we can have family gatherings there and be distanced. We have our own little trailers and things. And that's really fun too. That's my grandsons love that they bike and, and play. And it's a good chance for some downtime on the farm. So anyway, you spend a lot of time here. I spend, yes, er, er, we're here every day a few times. Um, and our grandson is living here and he's online school at Camosun. So he's, He's uh, up in staying up in our office right now and helps if the goats get out or the fencing and the heavy stuff. Yeah, it's wonderful to have um, Hayden here. And Hillary helped me all last year in the gardens and in the greenhouse. And uh, Austin and Ethan are just getting old enough to do things at the farm too with us. They'll come over and, and do some stuff, so... And just to backtrack a little bit in the history of the farm, and I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but it was originally called... Valley Home Farms, and Albert Menzies bought it from the Grimmers, maybe, or maybe Rutherford Hope. I'm not sure there was... Anyway, and it was the McDonald farm across the street. The cemetery property was part of it. The original house was down at the kind of the northerly end and there was a big barn which collapsed it still collapsed up there it looks um, wonderful i love the look it, of a collapsed barn uh, yeah <laughs> very cool yeah it it was a really well-known um dairy farm and they used to ship butter and cream and things like that off the island albert menzies was really hardworking. had quite a few children and uh he got the dock built at Hope Bay because it would save, well, it was, it was a good thing for the island, I think, at that time. But it really helped him with his cream and butter and milk and things because it was a lot easier to get it to Hope Bay than Port Washington. So, and he was very involved in the Hope Bay part of island life. Uh, the church, and um, he used to grow, I mean, he cleared the land, um, he had award-winning uh, Jersey cows, uh, he, he'd plant a field of turnips, he'd hay with a scythe, I mean, his son Victor uh, took over from him, 
and the elderly parents moved down to Hope Bay. They were neighbors of my grandmother's. And Victor, I used to know Victor and Vivian, and they lived down. Hope Bay Bible Camp was their property after they sold the farm. And um, so I actually knew the, the son that worked for many, many years uh, on the farm. And so there was a little connection there, but uh, they must have worked so hard to keep it going and, and the clearing and the, I mean, we have tractors and things and they, they had wagons and horses and, you know, stone barges and their hands. and their <laughs> So uh, then it was Ross Smith. They sold to the Ross Smiths. And then we, I wanted to come up with a name and it is in a valley. And, and um, I knew the Menzies. And so I said, well, I'd kind of like to change the name to Valley Home Farms because that's who kind of started it. And yeah, so one of these days I'm going to have a sign and <laughs> out front. And But anyway, I'm, I'm hoping some, sometime that we can have some younger people actually farming. That would be my goal for it. Right on. Well, I think yep. it's so cool that you uh, used the original name when you were coming up with a new name, <laughs> going back to the past. <laughs> yes. And honoring yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that's great. Yeah. It's great. And it's a great vibe here. And, uh, it, you know, something that I just uh, reminded myself of was that make sure that uh, you ask Linda about the recycling and uh, center. Oh, yes. And uh, yes. you mentioned that your father was the fire chief. This was something I found out a few years ago, and I didn't I didn't know this until then, that that property came into existence because of your family. And I just wanted to make sure that story was mentioned, because I think it's very, very important that we kind of understand why things are the way they are on the island. And that's something <laughs> I aim to do. But uh, could you give a little bit of background about the uh, Recycling Centre property? Sure. Well, when my dad sold his equipment to Doug and Glenn, he decided that he, and he bought the mill, he decided that some warehouses would be good. And I guess got the property zoned industrial by the recycling and that section. Um, it was already kind of grandfathered because he had the, where golf excavating used to be. He had, they had equipment there and, and um, things. So anyway, so he built the warehouses, he milled all the lumber and, and had various contractors build them. And um, Andy Nowak came to him and said, you've got a piece of property there and I'd like to do a recycling center. I think it, this is, we really need one on the island. And um, dad was always very generous with his time and you know, whatever he could do for people. He was always helping people do things. That's just the kind of person that both my parents were. So he said, oh, I think that that sounds like a good a good thing. He was really supportive of the idea. And uh, Andy said, well, there's a problem, though. We have no money. And so dad thought about, about it for a few minutes. And he said, well, how does a dollar a year sound as rent? So, so that's how they got the. And then eventually, one of the people 
uh, on the recycling board, I think, died and left them some money. And they actually, I believe it was Ted Scholes was involved in that time. And and they said, could we buy, this person's left this much money, could we buy the recycling center with it? And dad said, yep, but I don't want to do any paperwork. You guys do all the paperwork and whatever you can kind of afford. And um, so that was a done deal. Yeah, and they were always really pleased. And Andy always came, usually at Christmas or something, and they always went and had a visit with my parents and talked about it, and and it was very um, very special. Mary would make something for them, or and they always appreciated that very much. It was like the personal thank you again for <laughs> making this happen. So, yeah, right on, fantastic, and that yeah. that's great. You know, like that. I think that there's a history of uh, donated land yeah. <clears throat> on the yeah. island that exists, and. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we, you know, we drive by things and we we don't really understand the history or how they came into existence. But uh, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And for people who are interested, there's uh, an interview I did with Andy Novak, who uh, Linda just mentioned. I think it's episode 27 off the top of my head. But if you want to know more about the history of the recycling mm-hmm. center, he goes uh, deep into that as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty great thing that lands are... are uh, are allocated and uh, donated and uh, situations like that happen. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're going to, uh, we're going to start winding down now, but uh, we're not, we're not quite done, but uh, mm-hmm. to get to something I mentioned uh, before we started the interview, I'd said that I would ask a question of, okay, who uh, outside of your family has helped you along the way. And that's, that's a question I ask for people who are listening to show the connections that exist on the Island between community members, but through your years of living on Pender, like whether it be people who are, here now or who are deceased uh who's uh, who can you remember kind of has given uh, you help along the way on pender oh well because we have such a big family and spread out that the family was definitely the first um the, um and then we got into the contractors were so helpful and there's there's so many of them some have come and gone um uh, but brent steve Oh, just too many to mention. Brent used to come into the store and I'd ask him a question. He'd help with plumbing if there was nobody around. He he is a people person too. Uh, sorry, Brent Marsden. Brent Marsden. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um I he was just a savior. He always took time to chat with somebody or help. Um anyway, and he was really good with our kids too. Um Anyway, definitely that. Wynn Powell used to do our books, and he was always giving us good advice. I mean, he'd come every Saturday after running London Drugs and would come in and he'd say, you should move this because it it shouldn't be there. And you better move it before he came in the next Saturday, or he'd say, that's still in the wrong place. So he gave us good advice, support. He was amazing. Um, Shelly White, who passed away, she was, well, our staff. We had so many really good pe- good staff. Uh, Shelly was with us so many years until she got very sick. and But she always gave so much of herself. And... Um, let me see who else. 
there's so many people. No, uh, too I, many to mention. I think honestly, there always but, is. Linda. There always and, is. And and I and I do. I I worry about um, missing somebody who had a huge part in it. But uh, I'm almost yeah. ready to extract this question out because okay. it seems like most people struggle. It's like ah, yes. there's so many. I'm gonna forget. And I know. Whatever. But but uh, the people that you did mention. You met, at first you mentioned uh, Brent and then Steve, but you didn't mention Steve's last name. Which Steve, Steve Wright. Steve Wright, okay. Steve and Brent were in partnership, and the, like there was Salish Construction, South Island. Um, I was just trying to think of the ones Wayne Cartwright and um, uh, Jim Dunlop. I said before, and um, uh, so the original ones there that were that were just they just take the time and and you know because Don had done some building he he was in a he was kind of in his element but out of his element too in a lot of ways and things change uh the building supply tim and uh chris and people like that who come and say they're changing things you need to get you know this in to the store certainly all our our reps and things the home hardware people uh used to come and and help us as well not not necessarily on island, but some had island um, connections. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Just, that, that's great. That's too fantastic. many. Too many to mention. Well, I appreciate you trying. Name, it's. But... it's I've, I've noticed, like I said earlier, oh, it's kind of tough because uh, I, I want I want this to sort of show the connections that exist, but I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. Be like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like mm -hmm. I'm leaving people out. But thank <laughs> you. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Before we uh, before we get to the finish line here, just uh, is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you that you wanted to mention? Something that you want to put down for the record here? Uh, not particularly i think i'm i'm gonna think of all kinds of things at two in the morning <laughs> but no i i think i was really fortunate growing up here and um we were raised to help people to to do help the community and i think uh it's it's just been a really nice kind of a not legacy but um I remember so many things. Uh, uh, people used to get together, like building the community hall. That's probably, that happened in 2000. But they used to do that all the time when I was younger. It's a really neat way to, uh, like kind of um, barn raising things. My grandmother's house was built with family coming over and they did it in like a couple of weekends, you know, <laughs> things like that. that. I think that's really important. And I see... More, I see lots of it happening with the young people, you know, getting together, helping each other out. Um, even the modern, like, people go on Facebook and that and help each other out. When our goats get out, <laughs> we hear through Facebook. And I'm not a big electronic person, but I think it has its really good points, and especially now where you have to distance a bit. Um, yeah, I... I think there's still a pretty good community feel with the uh, island. And uh, certainly there's, uh, when I was growing up here, probably 250 people. So 20 times the population in the summer or, or 10 times the population anyway now. And a lot more uh, amenities on the island. But we did okay then. It was, it was good. It was good, peaceful life, I think. <laughs> 
I like what you yeah. say about uh, helping out in situations that require a lot of hands, because the mentality these days is that you, you pay somebody to do things and then that's how it gets done. Right. And I'm, I'm hearing stories from people who are a little bit older than I ha- am and have had, uh, you know, different life experiences, especially on Pender. And they talked about community involvement in situations just like that. Right. Like somebody's barn needed to be raised, you know, and the community hall was a huge compilation yes. of people getting together for yeah. that. And that would be really amazing to uh, help bring an element of that back together. But I guess we just have to take that into our own hands. And I um, was talking to my friend, Nan Campbell, who was from Saturna, and she said they had a lot of people move over in the winter and then power outages and they don't know what to do. They say, well, where do you go in an emergency? And, and she's, her sister lives there all the time. They have a big farm over there and, and and they said, well, basically, you have to be pretty self-sufficient because don't wait until a disaster. <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> you know, you're in a kind of remote community. If the f- ferries can't sail someday or the whatever, you, you really need to be a little bit more self-sufficient here. Power does go out, and it might go out for a couple of days. <laughs> and and uh, don't wait for somebody to do things for you. Do it yourself. If it needs doing, do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, maybe, maybe a good reminder. Yeah. Maybe people, it's like, hey, you're new to the island. Yes. Have you ever thought about a generator? Yeah. That, that might come really in handy. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it sucks. It sucks being cold uh, if you don't have a wood stove, which yes. uh, my yeah. wife and I are in that circumstance, right? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to know people, and it's nice to know like how to take care of things yourself as yeah. well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, Linda, uh, I think we've reached the end. Good. Thank you. Good. I'm, I'm oh. so thankful for this. Really. I, I'm sure we've. I'm sure there's a lot of things I should have uh, brought up, and but uh, anyway, it, it was, was perfect. It you brought was... up all the things that you should have brought up. It was wonderful. <laughs> Job well done. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Linda again so much for that interview. And to honor that interview, I decided I'd come down to Thieves Bay. So Thieves Bay is on the North Island and it uh, is a popular marina. And there's a lot of boats here. And uh, the reason I came down here is because Linda mentioned it in the interview and having picnics here. So I'm here imagining what it was like without the breakwater that I'm actually sitting on right now and all these boats in behind me and the idea of coming around the the corner here in a rowboat and heading on in to the grassy field that exists there now and having a nice picnic in the 50s and 60s. Ah, I love how Linda described it as being magical because it provided me an opportunity to reimagine this spot i've only ever seen it one particular way but this is something i love about doing the interviews is hearing stories from people who have been here for longer than i have describing people and places in different ways it's really nice anyway the sun is going down it's about to head behind the clouds which are in behind salt spring island on this really gorgeous early spring evening thanks to ben mcconkey for providing the music at the beginning of this show 
Thank you for listening, and until next time.